You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. that chapter 22 that we've already discussed and broke it down for you and dissected it, Abraham never even argued with God. He wasn't trying to find a way out of obeying what God asked him to do. He wasn't looking for excuses to delay his actions. He's just doing what he has been told to do. Folks, let me tell you something. Oh man, that's perseverance. That's what perseverance looks like. So let's say you have an only child. You love that child almost more than your own life. And God, and you know it's God, tells you to sacrifice your child to Him. What do you do? No doubt this would make for some interesting conversations between the parents. Surely Abraham had that talk with Sarah. But as you'll hear in Pastor Mike's message today, Abraham didn't waver. He didn't know how things would turn out. But he did know God's promise of many descendants, so he trusted God for the outcome. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 25 as he continues his message, A Life That Validates Faith. later, Abraham gazed down upon their smoking runes, and as far as he knew, Lot, Abraham's nephew, and his family had perished in God's judgment. But notice there's an absence of something here. There's no word of protest on Abraham's part. Folks, that's self-control. That's what self-control looks like. Now, I'm just amplifying what that looks like, but think about it in your own life. We're talking about the sovereign work of God, whatever God is doing in your life. You might not like it. It might be very uncomfortable for you right now. What are you going to do? You're going to start complaining? You're going to start murmuring? You're going to have a little pity party like we so often do? Well, at least so often I shouldn't speak for you, but you know how that is. (laughs) Start feeling sorry for ourselves. Folks, this is what self-control looks like. This is that virtue that we are to add to our faith. But there was something else here. Also, we are to add to our faith patience, and that word patience can literally be translated perseverance. And by the way, this is also related to self-control. I'd encourage you to, if you would, write them down sometime during the week, get alone, you and God, and go back into your college class with the Lord, 
just spend some time and let God continue to minister and speak to you about these lessons that we're serving up here. But the next virtue, the next fruit that we are to add to our faith is perseverance or patience, which is also related to self-control. Now, how is this demonstrated in Abraham's life? Well, this was really amplified through Abraham's near sacrifice of his son on Mount Moriah. Remember, God spoke to Abraham, instructed him to take now thy son, thy only son, and get up to a place which I will show you and offer him there as a sacrifice. And remember in our previous studies, I had suggested to you that this was a pageant that was being played out of what God the Father was going to do and offering his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And we looked at the similarities, the parallels, It was an analogy, but it was a pageant that God was playing out for us so that we would understand how great God's love is for us, that he didn't even withhold his most prized possession, his son. And he sent him into the world to die in our place upon the cross for our sin. So when instructed to do so by God, and remember now, he had been waiting forever for the birth of his son, who was the heir when instructed to do so in chapter 22 by God, he's not arguing with God. How many times when God tells us to do something, when it is uncomfortable, when it's difficult, when it's hard, when it's going to cost you something? Hey, Christianity at times will cost you something. But remember, as I always say, if your Christianity hasn't cost you something, guess what? It's not worth anything. But there's going to be times when your Christianity is going to cost you something. But notice, Abraham in chapter 22, he's not arguing with God about offering up his son as a sacrifice. We were talking about this. We had a roundtable discussion at our men's ministry. And uh, Rengus, where are you? And uh, Rengus raised the question. He said, I really don't know if I have enough faith if God asked me to offer up my daughter. He has a beautiful little daughter. Remember we were talking about that in the discussion at the men's fellowship a couple of months ago? We went around the table, and ultimately, I think we all came to the same conclusion. God would provide the grace and the strength to be able to do it. But what a difficult task. Could you imagine offering up your son at God beckoning us to do that as a sacrifice? In that chapter 22 that we've already discussed and broke it down for you and dissected it, Abraham never even argued with God. He wasn't trying to find a way out of obeying what God asked him to do. He wasn't looking for excuses to delay his actions. He's just doing what he has been told to do. Folks, let me tell you something. Oh, man, that's perseverance. That's what perseverance looks like. He gets up and gets moving. And for three days, and it was interesting, remember in this analogy, how that in this pageant, Abraham becomes a type of God the Father. Isaac becomes a type of God the Son, Jesus Christ. Even as Christ was dead and was in the tomb for a period of three days, in Abraham's mind, as they were traveling towards Mount Moriah, it was a three days journey. In Abraham's mind, his son was already dead. So I, I drew that to your attention in that pageant that was being played out. But think about that. He gets up and gets moving. And for three days, 
Abraham had to persevere in his obedience for the duration of his journey. Folks, that's obedience. That's discipleship. That's steadily putting one foot after the other. Year after year after year in the same direction. That's who Abraham was. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham walked this way from the day he left his home in Ur until the end of his 175th year. The next virtue, the next fruit that we are to add to our faith is godliness, or more accurately, look at the list there in 2 Peter, God-likeness would be more accurate. Now, this is that character developed from having spent time together with God. Have you ever noticed that you sort of become like, take on the personality of the people that you hang around with? How they? We grew up in Hoboken together, right? Isn't that true? And there's still a lot of Hoboken in us. Isn't that true? Oh, yeah. Okay. And it's true. We become like the people that you hang around with. And uh, Hoboken, man, I tell you, what a trip it was growing up in Hoboken, man. You ever meet a person who tells you they're from Hoboken? Be careful. Be careful. If they can find a way to take advantage of you. You see, but that was our old life. Okay, that doesn't exist anymore. That's right, God can. And he does use those skills. But isn't it true that we become like the people that we hang around with? I remember like growing up, there was uh, these two particular gangs in Hoboken that everyone wanted to be a part of. They were the Hobos and the Blackhawks. And I actually were members of both of those gangs. And I used to kind of just move around the city. And it was cool because we had the jackets, the Blackhawk jackets, the Hobo sweatshirts, and it was cool. It kind of identified you. You know, when you're a kid, you're looking for an identification, that sort of thing. And so we were like the cool guys, you know, we're hanging out. And then later on, it, it was being a football player and, and uh, you know, being a member of the varsity squad. And, and that was my identity. And it's funny, you know, it, but you take on the personalities of the, of the people that you hang out with or the people that you want to become like. And so it is in our relationship with God. Our character, that God-likeness, that character is developed from having spent time with God. Which, if you think about it, naturally follows perseverance. Because if you're persevering, you're actually hanging out with God. The result of that will be you'll become more like Him. Isn't that true? You'll take on His traits, His personality, His characteristics. Okay, so let me ask you the question. Are you godly? When people look at you and define you, dissect you, is there an absence of Mike and a very real presence of Jesus Christ within your life? Oh, man, I'm working on it. Not there yet. But we're all working at it. Are we godly? Are we spending time with God? Or have we chose to remain in our little earth? Earth, remember, is the place that Abraham was called by God to leave. Are we remaining in our little earths, caught up in the life of those places? Are we spending our time fighting over flocks and herds and pastures as Lot and his servants did? Listen, we must get alone with God 
to become like him. And have you noticed, since we've been examining Abraham, we see this reoccurring phrase, he built an altar there. It's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, Genesis chapter 13 and verse 18. He erected and built these altars in these different locations, in Shechem, in Bethel, in Hebron. And then we are told it was there that Abraham called on the name of the Lord. You see, Abraham displayed this piety. There was this awareness of his presence. There was this love and devotion for him. And so wherever Abraham pitched his tent, the first order of business for him was to rear an altar. We've talked about this before, the importance of building altars. And I'm not saying, and you know, back in the Old Testament, the way they went about that, where they would take these rocks, we've talked about this before as well, and they would place them one on top of another. And it served as a reminder. And it usually followed some new experience or revelation that that person had in their experience with God. And so they, in that moment, after that experience, whatever that experience was, whether it was God revealing himself to them in a new and profound and supernatural kind of a way, or it was a healing, or whatever, maybe it was God providing for them in a supernatural way as well, they would take these rocks and they would place them on top of one another, and they would build these altars. And then their business would take them to another location. But that altar that was built would serve as a reminder. And then from time to time, they would go back to that place where they had constructed that altar as a memorial, as a reminder of what God had done for them in the past. And I would encourage you to do likewise. I mean, there are certain, think about it, there are certain experiences that we go through in our walk in our relationship with God of the spectacular sort. It might be the day of your conversion experience. It might be the day when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It might be the day that you were baptized in water. It might be whatever, God providing for you in a way that only God could, and you knew it was him. And he he was there in in a very real and tangible kind of a way. And you go back to that place, particularly if you're in a time of discouragement. You go back to that place where you built that oil, where God did something spectacular for you in the past, and it serves as a reminder of, hey, what God did for you in the past, he'll do for you right now, maybe in the form of healing or whatever. If you're going through a difficult time, go back to those places. And if you haven't started building altars, I'd encourage you to do that. There's great value in doing that very thing. So, there was this wonderful relationship, that's the point, between Abraham and God. No wonder he is referred to us and recommended to us in the Bible as God's friend. God wants to have the same kind of a relationship with you and then with me. But let's go on here. The next virtue mentioned in this list, notice, is brotherly kindness. Now that phrase brotherly kindness is based on the word for family love, phileo. It has the connotation of friendship. It's also where we get the word Philadelphia from. 
I don't know if you knew that or not, phileo. And that is affection for the members of one's family, as well as displaying affection for those we meet in the natural course of life. Now, this was exemplary in Abraham's experience in his love for his son Ishmael, for his son Isaac, for his wife Sarah. You know, I think of during the time in Sarah's passing and the great lamenting, sorrow that was expressed by Abraham, that love, that affection for the members of his family. So this was exemplary in Abraham's life. And then finally, and this is sort of related, so I kind of shortened this a little bit, but finally we are encouraged to add to our faith love. Now this is different from that brotherly kindness, phileo. It's the Greek word agape. You're familiar with it. It's a step beyond and above brotherly kindness. It's that divine love. It's a love that was coined for New Testament use. Actually, it didn't even exist until New Testament times. It's that divine love, that love that was demonstrated by God himself, sending his only begotten son into this world to die in our place. But it's also, on our part, a love for God. Again, demonstrated by Abraham, obeying God in the offering of his son. I can't even imagine a greater demonstration of that love than offering up your own son, your own flesh and blood. Listen, gang, it was out of this love that Abraham did whatever he did for God. Paul put it this way, it's the love of Christ that constraineth us. Have you ever wondered what drove Paul in the New Testament to do the things that he did? I mean, he didn't have an easy time of it at all. He went from one place to another, And in all of those places, he came up against persecution, thrown into prison, he's beat up, he's shipwrecked, cat nine tails laid to his back. I mean, this guy didn't have an easy ministry. How do you explain all of that? And then where is it? In Lystra or Iconium? I always forget exactly where that took place, where he's taken outside of the city and they begin to beat him with the rocks and he's actually put to death through stoning. But God wasn't finished with him. Remember, he's caught up to the third heaven, and God wasn't finished with him, so he breathed life back into him. And as all of the disciples are around the motionless body of Paul, lying on the ground, he's just been put to death through stoning. And all of a sudden, his eyes open. He picks himself up of the ground. He brushes off the dust. And what does he do? He goes off to the next city and does it all over again. Without any hesitation. How do you explain that? Well, Paul put it this way. It's the love of Christ that constraineth us. That love for God. It was the same kind of a love that Abraham had for God. So it was out of this love, Abraham did whatever he did for God. It was the secret of Abraham's growth and all of these other attributes. Of all of the virtues, all of the attributes, all of the characteristics of faith that we just went through, love has to be the greatest. So keep yourself in the love of God. Develop that attribute, that character, that fruit within your life. 
because it's the springboard, if you will, for all of these other virtues. It has to be love. It has to be love. You see, it was the secret of Abraham's growth and all of these other attributes. Paul, in describing that love for us, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7, and again, that's why 1 Corinthians chapter 13 was even written, to explain what love looks like. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then he goes on, and, I, and my own personal interpretation of agape is there's only one fruit of the Spirit, and that is love, period. But you see, to help his readers understand what that love is and what it looks like, he uses all of these other adjectives to describe what that love is. So what does he say? He says, love, agape, suffers long. So agape suffers long. It is kind. It does not envy. Now, I want you to think about Abraham. This is who he was. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. And it endures all things. You see, gang, that's who Abraham was. It was a man like this who breathed his last breath and died at a good old age. And then we are told here in our text, back in the book of Genesis, he was gathered to his people. But don't be confused by this. More accurately, he was gathered together with God's people. This is not a reference to his kinsmen. You see, this is a testimonial of faith in the perseverance of the souls of God's people after death. So then, who was his people? Well, you got to go back to our, the beginning of our series of studies here in the book of Genesis. That would include Seth and Enoch and Methuselah and Noah and Sarah. Okay, so let me ask you this question. Who are your people? Listen, let me end with this. One day, every one of us are going to die. But here's the question. Will we be gathered together with the people of God or the company of those who despised God's truth and trampled upon his salvation? It's a choice that we have to make. Make a wise choice. Choose Jesus while we are still alive, while we still have the opportunity. Enter through that door, the door Jesus Christ. It's only through him where we can enter into and have fellowship with God the Father. It's faith in him. And then after you've exercised your faith in him, then add to your faith these virtues that we've been talking about in my father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where i long to be oh my when you look back at your life what moments stand out to you there are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. 
The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, we see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and In My Father's House. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.